I was uh, once invited to a party by a new neighbor who had just moved into the neighborhood. I didn't know the neighbor, he didn't know me, he didn't know what I did, but I accepted the invitation to the party. And while I'm at the party, I'm standing with a group of guys, and the guys are telling these off-color jokes I can't tell you, and we're using off-color language. It didn't bother me, I spent two summers in the Marine Corps, so I've kind of heard everything. But the conversation drifted to the place where they asked me what I did for a living. And I said, I'm a minister, and their eyes are like, oh no, what did I say? What did I do that was offensive? And then they asked, well, what does a minister do? And since I already killed the party, I thought I'd have some fun with them, and I said, I preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons, and their mouths just dropped. We laugh at that answer, but that's exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do. And in case you're tempted to think, oh, that's only for those 12, after those 12 went, Jesus sent 72 others who were not the 12, who were just ordinary folk, and they did the same thing. And after Pentecost, we read about the deacons in the church doing the same thing. Preaching the gospel, praying for the sick, releasing those who are oppressed, maybe even demonized. This is the stuff of the church. We are the church, are we not? We read about this sending in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet as you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now let's take a look at verse 7. Jesus called the 12 to himself, and he sent them out two by two. He sent them out for this mutual encouragement and camaraderie. One of the joys of ministry is the camaraderie you feel with those you minister with. And then he sent them out with authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Jesus gives authority to us as the children of God. This past week, I was talking to my stepmom's investment advisor and her accountant because she's given me authority to act on her behalf. Jesus has given us authority to act on his behalf. We are the presence of Jesus in the world with authority to preach to heal the sick, and yes, set people free 
Now, his instructions to them are quite terrifying if you think about it. Imagine yourself in this position. You've been with Jesus. You've seen him do the stuff. But now Jesus says, you're going on a short-term mission trip. You say, okay. And then Jesus says, well, I'm not going to go with you. And you're like, what? And then he says, you're going to go with Thomas here. And you're thinking, Thomas, that doubter, he knows less than I do. But then his instructions become even scarier. He says, take your staff, but no money, no food, no extra set of clothes. You can wear your sandals, but nothing else. Now, that'd be scary, wouldn't it? When we send people on short-term mission trips here at Eastminster, they're, they're always asking us, hey, what should we pack? What should we bring? And we have trouble limiting them to one bag. What if I told you all you can bring is your toothbrush, toothpaste, some deodorant, and a change of underwear? You would panic. You would panic if that's all you could bring on a weekend out to Kansas City. This is all these guys can bring on their preaching tour. But here's what Jesus wanted to teach them. God will provide for you as you do my will. I will always provide for you to do what I say. It's like a parent saying to their college-aged child, I'll pay for your college tuition, but you have to study. And what if that student goes to college and discovers, oh, there's lots of other things to do here besides study, and they do all the other things to do, but don't study. There's no obligation on the parent's part to provide. Or suppose you have a boss, and the boss says, I want to send you on a trip. You're going to do me an errand, and I'll pay for your expenses as you do the errand. This is God's promise to us. His promise is to provide as we do his will. And so, if we're worried about being provided for, the promise is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be provided to you. And this is true whether we are individuals, or whether we are family members, or whether we are the church. God provides for us to do his will. And there are churches, when they come to the point in their history, when they no longer focus outward but become focused on themselves, almost always, I have not seen an exception, that that church's provision starts to dry up and they either die or they become a shell of what they once were. Notice also from verse 10 that they had to be content to stay wherever they were invited to stay. They could not move from house to house in a town. They could not look for better meals or better sleeping arrangements. So he sent them out in various directions to various villages in Galilee, and he said, go into a town, start preaching and sharing, Heal the sick who are there, and if anyone comes to you with demon-possessed people, go ahead and cast out those demons. And if someone in that town invites you to stay in their home, 
go ahead and stay in their home. And that's kind of scary, right? Imagine going to a new town and someone says, hey, come on to my house and stay with me. So there would be some people that welcome them in their message. But Jesus said there's also going to be people who will say, we don't want to hear what you have to say. We want you to leave. And Jesus said, go ahead and leave. Shake the dust off your feet. Move on. You see, we don't press the issue. We don't argue people into the kingdom. We share the message. And if the Spirit of God has made them ready to receive it, then they will receive it. Because you see, the Spirit of God is working throughout the world, preparing people to hear the gospel. He's already regenerated their hearts. And when a regenerated heart hears the gospel, then they believe and are saved. And that's why we share the gospel with all. Because everywhere, God is working. We just don't know who he's working on until we share and they believe. So the disciples did what Jesus said, and it was scary for them. Verse 12 says, they went out and preached that people should repent. Notice, repentance is part of the message. And this is the gospel they preached if you read the gospels. The kingdom of God is here because the Messiah is here. Repent and follow the Messiah. That's their message. The gospel we hear in churches is a a little different today, right? We hear things like, ask Jesus into your heart or just believe in Jesus and you're saved. But here, repentance is central to the message. Even after the cross and resurrection, repentance is essential to the message. When a Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Paul answers back to him, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Repentance is always part of living out the gospel because the ways of the world are different than the ways of the Messiah. And if we're going to follow the Messiah, we need to put away the things of the world. And if we really want Jesus to change our life, then we have to change the direction of our life, put it away, and start following his way of things. Repentance is the gospel. And if we preach a gospel that does not include repentance, then it is no gospel at all. So the disciples went on their mission trip, scared at the start, but rejoicing in the end. Verse 13 says, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. They did ministry dependent on God, and God worked through them. And I really have no doubt that God would work through us if we operated according to the same faith and boldness. What would happen if we actually shared and prayed for sick people and prayed for people to be set free? I think we would see marvelous things in our midst. But we lack the courage. 
Or maybe we just can't think of ourselves as operating in that paradigm, but why not? Why not? We no longer live in an age where if you build it, they will come. Here's what I mean by that. 50 years ago, you would find a a growing area of the city. You'd plant a church there, build a church building, finance at least a few successful programs, and people would just come to your church because we lived in a society that actually sought out church membership. We don't live in that culture anymore. Culture has changed on us. People don't seek out church membership, really. People don't seek out Jesus. People don't even think they need to be saved. They need to be saved, they just don't know it. And it manifests itself in different ways, like hopelessness and meaninglessness and despair. We show them that Jesus is the answer. But the idea of if we build it, they will come, does not work in the culture we live in. The days we live in are closer to the days of the apostles, when we and the church must actually go out to them where they live. And that's why at Eastminster we say, we all go from the end of the street and to the ends of the earth. Now, when we say we all go, that's really a way of you saying I go because this is part of what our church is about. And we going means more than us just putting a large portion of money towards missions. Really, that's a session decision that prioritizes missions. We can give our offering, you know, 25% goes to missions, and we can be totally disengaged when it comes to the gospel. When we say we all go, that means my heart is on mission with Christ. My heart is invested somewhere. My heart belongs to some missionary, you know, just somewhere in the world where they get my thoughts, my prayers, my gifts, my service. And I am always on mission wherever I am because I have a sphere that I live in, a sphere that touches other people. And if my sphere is so small that I don't even interact with non-Christians anymore, then I have to intentionally expand my sphere so it does. And in that sphere, I am a messenger and a minister for Christ. We all go to the end of the street and to the ends of the earth. Besides, if we want to reach the world, we really need to go no further than Wichita. There are 1,500 international students at Wichita State. They come here for a while and then they go home. And if you were God of the universe, would not part of your plan to take the gospel to the ends of the earth be to bring people from around the world, bring them here to hear the gospel, and then go back with the gospel to their homelands? 
At the very least, when we invite an international student into our home, we at least give them an experience of America that's positive. Because a lot of them go home bitter about America. Because they'll say, I was never in an American home. I never made an American friend. America never showed me kindness. But we can. You can invite them over for Thanksgiving and say, this is the holiday where we thank God. Invite them over Christmas time and say, this is the holiday when we celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God who came to earth. And we read the Christmas story as part of our tradition. You can invite them over on, on, during Easter time and invite them to an Easter service and say, this is a big holiday in our country because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they'll hear at that service reasons why we believe and they'll hear the gospel. And at least they go home saying, they showed me kindness. We can minister to the Swahili-speaking population in the city. We planted a church called the Oaks. But the hope that they'll reach other Swahili-speaking people in our city and perhaps other cities in the nation and perhaps take the gospel back to their homeland. We go from the end of the street and to the ends of the earth. And sometimes the ends of the earth can be Wichita. Now, while the disciples are doing ministry and these wonderful things are happening, horrible things are also happening. We read in verses 7 through 13 about this wonderful mission trip. Then if we read until verse 30, we'll read in verse 30 that the disciples came back and reported that they indeed healed the sick and cast out demons. Luke records the same story and says that the disciples came back rejoicing. But Mark puts the story of John the Baptist and his beheading within this story of the disciples going out. We call that a sandwich, and Joe's going to preach on the meat of the sandwich next week. But here's what I think it's telling us, that in the midst of us doing ministry in the world and us doing good things, there's evil in the midst of the world. Sometimes people say, oh, there's evil in the world. There can't be a good God. Why does God allow this? Why would he allow this to happen? I want to say back, does God let you do what you want? Yeah. Does he let you sin? Yeah. Does he let you be evil? Yeah. There's evil in the world. Let evil in the world convince you of this that God is right when he says there's evil in the world, that the world needs saving. It's saved through Christ, transforming one heart at a time. Disciples are sent, and we are disciples. Are we not? All of us have a sphere we live in, and we can impact that sphere for Christ. I was talking to an elder that was at my former church, 
and we were talking about what he did in Vietnam. He said, uh, when I was in Vietnam, I was in a rock and roll band, and we played concerts for different bases, Air Force and Army bases, Marine Corps bases, um, while we were there on weekends. But then during the week, I had to load ordnance onto helicopters, which meant he, whatever that helicopter took as far as ammo, like missiles or bullets, that was his job. And I kind of thought, you know, that's a metaphor for the church. Because a lot of times, the church thinks that the church is about the show that happens on the weekend. When our real purpose for existence is to win a war. We advance the kingdom. We take enemy territory. The church is about doing that, not about the show on the weekend. Jesus sent out the disciples to do what seemed like a daunting task, to preach and share in places they did not know with nothing but the authority and power of God and the authority and power of God was and is enough. It was a tough task, but they came back rejoicing. When thinking about tough tasks, I'm reminded of the words of Gimli the Dwarf in Lord of the Rings. The fellowship is presented with this daunting task to take the ring to the mountain, to Mount Doom, and destroy the ring in the fires of Mount Doom. And they have to do this for the sake of the world. Gimli says, Certainty of death, small chance of success, What are we waiting for? We also have a task for the sake of the world. But our guarantees are much better. Certainty of life. Good chance for success. What are we waiting for? Every week I pray and I say, Lord, what's your message for the church? And I don't leave that place of prayer until I have a message for you. And here's the message. As I sent them, so I send you. Let's pray for the faith and the courage and the power to go. Let us pray. Lord, I pray for the church that I shepherd. You sent me here to lead them into your will. And your will is that we go. 
You planted Eastminster to be a redemptive force in this city, to literally shake nations with the gospel. Well, Lord, do not let us abandon that task, but let us renew ourselves again to be on mission with you. Maybe we can't even comprehend what that would be like for us, but Lord, expand our vision, expand our experience. And for those who are willing, let them receive your authority. Give them a measure, a great measure of faith. Give them boldness. And Holy Spirit, speak to them and tell them, now is the time. This is the person. We're going to trust you to work in us and through us. For those who are oppressed by the evil one, we pray for release. For those who are desperate for your power to intervene, we pray for your power to work in their lives. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.